Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into a special edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCready in the Clark Ford Studios in Oxford. Martin Palomo uh, back with us in uh, in Madison and uh, joining us today is the uh, chair of emergency medicine at UMMC. That's Dr. Alan Jones. We're obviously going to talk about uh, the coronavirus. It is Sunday, March the 15th at about uh, 1.10 p.m. as we begin taping this. So I know this is a story that has uh, developed and developed and developed quickly. So in the event that anything that we say is, is somewhat outdated hours from now, you'll you'll have a little context there. Before we get started, let me tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. That's uh, 662-857-1900 is the number. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle. No haggle. You're worried about spending a lot of time at a dealership and, and uh, being exposed to people? Corey can take that part away as well. Everything can be done literally almost to the final part, part of your deal. Everything can be done, done via text, via email. Uh, you can get quotes, specific quotes. You can uh, negotiate what, which vehicle you're looking for. All of those things, you can do that without any uh, human interaction until uh, the very final part of your deal. So uh, that might actually come in handy here in these uh, new times that we're living in. Uh, before Martin, I guess before we get started with uh, with Alan Jones, give us a little bit of uh, of information about Pinnacle Trust, how people can get in touch with you guys. Indeed, no, I, I appreciate you, Neil, and um, man, I'm I'm super grateful we have this medium to talk to people, um, you know, about what's going on. It's been a great way for us to communicate with you know our clients at Pinnacle Trust, and then just folks that are in our community, and that's really you know, Stacy did talk about initially when he started doing this, he wanted us to be able to talk about the things for our clients, but also wanted to give back to the community. And I think now is the really a great opportunity for us to use this medium to give back to the community, to talk about what's going on, to have guests that are relevant to what's going on with, you know, with the spread of this virus. Um, you know, one of the things that we're really, I guess we're starting to see physically is the panic, the fear. Um, you know, people are wiping out grocery shelves. People are, you know, are kind of running around mad and, um, you know, and, and, and folks also can tend to do that with their, with their money. And it, and it seems that when you're in a state of panic or in a state of fear, um, that, you know, you tend to not make the most rational decisions or most people don't make the most rational decisions. So as that relates to people's finances, um, you know, really that's, that's what we are here for people to do during this time is help folks be 
we're the voice of reason. We're the voice of logic. Um, and you know, one of the things that this, these markets have been moving like a yo-yo, you know, you're down 2000 up 2000 down 1500 up a thousand. So it's real. The, the markets are moving at the speed of light. Um, you know, and one of the things that we've been able to do for our clients, very calculated is, um, when the markets gave us the buying opportunity, uh, which was last Thursday. So which would have been the 12th of March. Um, the Dow was down, you know, 10%, uh, well, all the markets were down 10%. Uh, we bought that day. So we were able to buy on sell. We did it for all of our clients across the board at the end of the day. Uh, so we bought low, we bought more stocks low. And then of course, Friday, the, the next day, which was the 13th, um, you know, the S and P 500 and the Dow were up almost 10%. So, you know, there are ways that we can help folks, you know, earn a little extra during times like this. We want to be, we are very, very, uh, directional about how we do things. It's not based on anything emotional. Um, it's based on, on logic and, uh, you know, and it's an opportunity for us to, to help our clients kind of weather the storm of this thing. Cause you know, and we'll, I guess we'll get into it when we get into the episode, you know, fear is what's driving the markets right now. Um, we still don't have any economic data to tell us what type of impact it is. So the markets moving are purely based on speculation. So, uh, I think we're pricing in a worst case scenario in markets, which, you know, so when we do recover, uh, I think financial markets will recover, will recover well. So, yeah, man, I mean, times like this is, you know, is when it's important to have someone else that you can talk to, to be objective. And we haven't gotten a lot of client phone calls, but we've gotten a few client phone calls and a lot of them have really just been, Hey, I don't, I know I don't need to do anything, but I just need you to talk me down and to assure me that everything is going to be okay as it relates to their portfolio. And so, um, you know, we have, and we've done that. And a lot of our clients are not fully invested in the stocks. So, Anyway, I know I was really, really long-winded there, um, but you know it is an opportunity. If you know, if you have someone, if you're doing it yourself, and you've just said, "Man, I cannot do this anymore. I need to have someone else. I need to have that hand to hold through all of this." Give us a call. Um, the the landline, the main line is 601-957-0323. As we're recording this, um, we are actually making preparations for, um, for working remote for some of our, uh, for some of our advisors and staff. Um, but still the number will ring, it will roll over to someone and you'll be able to get someone. Um, another great way to get in touch with us is through social media. We are very active on social media. Um, you can find us on Facebook and like us pinnacle trust or the mind on my money podcast. Um, but also if you just send an email to info, at pintrust, P-I-N-N-Trust.com, whether we're, you know, a thousand miles away, a mile away, or in the office, we'll be able to respond to you. Uh, Alan, I'm, first of all, thank you so much for sp- giving us some time in, in a period that I cannot imagine how busy you all are. I- I'll start there because I'm just curious, what have the last couple of weeks, or maybe it's been longer than that, what have those last couple, three weeks been like in terms of just busyness and uh, preparedness and all of the things that you all are having to do? Well, it's been interesting. We, um, we definitely are spending the majority of uh, each day now in 
uh, preparation more than actual implementation and of care at this point. But as everybody around is seeing that activity in the United States is ramping up and um, as we're on that upslope, uh, what we've done for the last couple of weeks is try to prepare for the influx of uh, what we expect to see in terms of cases. So definitely something that um, is new uh, in my career. I mean, I've lived through some of these. Uh, you know, I lived through the swine flu of 2009, uh, Ebola, um, the SARS and MERS, which were never as much of a direct threat. Uh, but we did a lot of activity around Ebola, but this is a whole new level of, uh, of preparedness and uh, preparation that is being taken very seriously. So, yeah, and I, I think, uh, oh, sorry, Neil, I was going to say, I think that, you know, I was, I was kind of telling Neil earlier, you know, when we found, when, when all of the news started breaking, I was a little bit, a little dismissive. Um, but I'm really, you know, I've, I've tried to read a lot. I know Neil's, we've talked about, I've probably read more in the last two weeks than I've read in the last <laughs> three years about the, and I am not a, a medical expert, but I like, I have a mother at home who's, she's 72. She lives with me. Um, she's had, um, you know, she's had a, some heart issues, but has diabetes as well. And I'm, you know, I keep reading cause I'm like, man, she kind of fits into that higher risk category. Um, you know, and it is kind of starting to get real. It is like, all right, this is not, we can't be dismissive about it. Um, and it's, and you know, it's good to hear that you guys are, are under the way of preparation too, because I don't want to end up like Italy. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think that the initial response that you just have as a human being, uh, a lot of people do, maybe not everybody. Some people are, you know, over preparers at baseline. Um, right. but, but your initial response to something like this is usually along the lines of, Okay, um, you know, but not really. It, it doesn't really mean anything to you in a real way, right? Uh, and <clears throat> I think now that we're starting to see, you know, the the trickle effect and the spread and what it can actually do to certain areas, um, it's heightened everybody's sense of awareness, and and you know, that's a good thing because. If you don't take it seriously, and there's some test cases we could talk about over in um, Asia and in Europe, if you don't take it seriously, it's it can be devastating. Yeah, and I mean, I do want to get into some of those things too. Neil, I cut you off in a question. Do you want to jump in real quick? Well, I want to go ahead and get a medical person to say this, because one of the things that people push back with a lot is... This is just like the flu. I don't. I don't understand the the backlash. I don't understand all of the shutdowns. I don't understand why life has to be. Uh, why everyone has to. And this is somewhat hyperbolic, but people are worked up. They say I don't understand why everyone has to stop living. This is just like the flu. But the people who say this is just like the flu, if you would, from a medical perspective, explain how it is not just like the flu. Well, I think a couple of things are, um, and that's a great question. I've seen a lot of that on 
you know, written on social media. I've had right. people say that to me. And, and I think there's a, a couple of things you have to keep in mind when you're comparing it to the flu. Number one, um, you know, we have influenza activity uh, every year. It, it certainly, you know, flu season is a certain area where we know that a certain time when we know the activity is higher. Um, and the with the flu, we vaccinate. We have an idea of what those strains are going to be based on right. the winter in Australia and the UK. And so we're able to prepare a little bit better in terms of, um, you know, what to expect. We, we vaccinate people. And so some certain set of the population gets vaccinated, which prevent um, them from getting it. And that helps contribute towards the the herd immunity that keeps the spread from um from being wild yeah from being too wild so the second thing is is if you look at the infectivity of the flu for each person that gets the flu there will be about a 1.5 to 1.9 uh number of other people that they will infect right well we know that when you have that infectivity rate, um, eventually the virus is going to die out. It can't be sustained because it's not highly infectious. And the flu is not necessarily a really hardy virus either. It, it doesn't live in on things for um, a long, long time. Uh, so the coronavirus, uh, the infectivity rate is about 2.5 to 2.9. So it's almost double what the flu is. So like, so you'll, you'll infect 2.5 to 2.9 people. Correct. And so, and we'll go, I want to go back to that in a minute too, because I want to talk, my brother's an engineer and we talked about, we we're nerds. We calculated the exponential math last night right. <laughs> in the spread, but we'll, We'll talk about that in just a second. So 2.5 to 2.9. Yeah, so those two things. And then the third thing about this that you can't really compare it to the flu is, um, you know, we go through seasons where we have flu epidemics, which is when there's, you know, um, a more widespread outbreak. Um, We have had flu pandemics. The H1N1 in 2009 was a pandemic that affected 60 million people worldwide. And that had a pretty high fatality rate as well. It did, yeah, it it did. But the thing about this particular virus that is more concerning is um, that it seems to be, uh, compared to the flu, have an overall mortality rate that is exponentially higher. So the flu at baseline probably uh, has a mortality rate of uh, about 0.1%. Right. Of all infected, um, you know, the data out of China, which uh, might be a little skewed because of the fact that it was originally recognized there is two to three percent um, in Italy. It's probably going to end up being more like six to eight uh, percent. And in areas that took it really, really seriously and did a lot of containment measures, Early, like South early Korea, on, South or, Korea, okay. Japan. Yes, you know, I mean, they're both right re- by China, and we haven't really talked about Japan in the news much, right? But Japan actually got pretty draconian and just shut everything down, and the people listened, and their case fatality rates coming out of South Korea and um, Japan are really actually pretty low, kind of like 
maybe around 0.2, 0.3%. But that's still double or triple what, what the flu is. is. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if you want to call it a glorified influenza, you can, or if you want to, it, it really is not a comparable disease for a number of those reasons that I've talked about. Gotcha. Yeah. And so one of the things I wanted to jump on while I'm going to just piggyback on it. So it's talking about the spread piece. Um, so my brother, my brother's a mechanical engineer and anytime we get to compete with each other in anything we do, of course, he's much better at public math and advanced math than I am, but we kind of did calculate, you know, just, and they, and it's funny, like the science community has a formula for the, the, how rapid this thing. And that's what blew my mind too, was how rapid it can spread. And I think the double it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on information here, we calculate as like doubling every six days. So if, you know, and, and I think that was the misnomer of people saying, well, Oh, we only have, and I look, I'm a full disclosure. I was one of those people three weeks ago. I was like, we only have X number of cases. Well, that was three weeks ago. And now we've seen it spread out of one country across the world. But it was like every six days ish it's doubling. So, I mean, just math on that. If 20,000 people are infected six days later, 40,000 people, six days later, 80, six days later, 160, six days later. And so you look at it a couple of months and then once you hit the million and then it starts going into doubling every six day at the millions, I mean, that is a very rapid pace of infection. And I understand, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really understanding now why the, the recommendations of shutting down youth activity, um, you know, getting, trying to get out ahead of this thing. And we may already be behind. I have no idea. And you might be able to, to help tell us that, but to not help the, the spread even faster because, because it is doubling, you know, real quick, very rapidly. Yeah. Is that true? Or Yeah, that's that, that, that's the, so from a public health standpoint, that's the concern. The concern is that a best case scenario is what you're saying is, you know, about every week you'll double the number of cases. Although if you look at an unpre- unprepared area, and I'm going to say Italy was a relatively unprepared area, they went from last, um, uh, my days are kind of running together. So no, I, on, I, Friday, I they are, man. <laughs> on Friday, they had 16,000 cases. The Friday before that, so one week earlier, they had 4,000. Oh my gosh, so that's quadrupling. So they quadrupled cases in one week. And so, you know, some of the estimates that, that are out there right now is before we reach the peak in the United States, we may get around um, three to four million cases uh, that need hospitalization. Holy crap. Uh, and the problem is that if you look at the number of hospital beds in the country, right? Uh, and this is if they're all empty and ready to go, it's only about 900,000. So, so it'll be three, four times the amount you even have availability. That you would even have availability of hospital beds. And so if you ended up having, you know, three or four million people that got it that needed hospitalization, uh, uh, we think about 20%, 20 to 25% of people that get it are going to require hospitalization, um, then that means that you're looking at somewhere around uh, 12 to 16 million people in the United States that will get it. Wow. And so, 
you know. So here's that, and that's I, I want risk. I want to get I want to get ahead, into man. this because you're, you're you're talking about hospitalization, and I was one of those idiots about a week ago. Did you lose me? There I am. I was one of those idiots about a week ago. No, yeah, we got you. We got we got kind of a weak signal, Neil. I don't know if it's if it's on our end, but we can hear you. But you can tell it's an, a weak internet signal. Okay, I'm on a hard line. Um, I'll try to flip. You, no, yeah, it's it's. I think it's us, man. You're. I can hear you now. Okay. I was one You're of those good. people that a week ago I thought, hey, this is this is a little overblown. Everything we we don't have to shut society down. I. I what changed my mind was when someone finally explained to me hospital beds, ICU beds, what happens when those get full. How close are we as a country? How close is your hospital to kind of a crisis point as it pertains to that? Well, that's an interesting question. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is at baseline, hospitals are full. Okay, so we're full. Most every hospital in the state, or at least in the city, is full all the time anyway. Yeah, with non-coronavirus. heart attacks yeah. and, you know, people that need surgery and cancer and just all that right. s- the baseline stuff that we have to deal with in healthcare. So um, that's the biggest concern is the surge capacity of the medical system. And so when you're talking about these, what, people think are draconian measures of, you know, canceling conferences and sporting events and church and all this stuff. The intent with all that is if by doing that, we can slow the spread of the virus. And by now, everybody has learned this concept and, you know, read it. But, you know, um, what we're trying to do is spread the peak. And what that Out means over longer is periods. instead of having yep. a huge spike in cases in the in the period of a month where it just totally overruns and overwhelms the healthcare system, we want to spread that number of cases out over many, many months so that the healthcare system can actually accommodate taking care of those right. patients that need it. So I mean that's what we're seeing in Italy is that their healthcare system is overrun and they're having to make triage decisions about essentially who lives and who dies if we're just being very matter of fact. Right. Well, that's, and, that's what's in the news for sure. Yeah. yeah. And well, yeah, that's what's in the yeah. news. And so I'm a data junkie too. And I looked at, so it was, you know, a lot of the Italian, um, the demographics average age is 10 years older than the average age of America, which for me is a, that's a, at least I take that as a positive for, for us. Right. And then, you know, the percentage of the Italian population that smokes and has respiratory issues is, is like 50% yeah, or something significantly significant. higher than. So I'm trying, I'm trying to be like, you know, the, I am a glass is half full guy and I'm also a, the glass can be refilled, but also, you know, and just like Neil said three weeks ago, I was, I was quite dismissive yeah. of, I was like, man, this is, well, a lot of people pass. are, you yeah. know, a lot of people are. I think the other thing to step back and, and you know, it's easy to, uh, you know, think about this stuff and kind of let your mind uh, cripple you a little bit with anxiety. Of, right. You know, so if you step back and let's use Italy as the experience or, or maybe we should start with China. Okay, China, 1.4 billion people. Right. Overall in China, 80,000 people got it, right? So it's right. at 0.00008% yeah, yeah. of their population. Correct. Right? 
Uh, Italy has a population of 60 million people, and right now they have 20,000 cases. Right. Right. So, but, so that should give you some, a little bit of perspective on, you know, it's a very small percentage of the population that get it. Right. Uh, that's not to be dismissive in say, well, you know, um, it's not that big a deal, but it is meant to say, keep it in perspective and recognize that a very, very small percentage of the population that get it and get sick rapidly overruns the healthcare system. Sure. And I mean, I would rather be like alarmist right, right now and then we get through it and it not be so bad. And we go, we go way, man. Wow, man. We, we were way overblown on the front end, but maybe that way overblowing it on the front end prevents, just like you said, that the curve to to widen and be fatter, you know, over a period of time versus spike real high right. and overrun. Because another thing, it's not just about beds, right? It's about equipment. You oh yeah, know, you supply chain. Well, it, there's, you, know. you guys only have so many like ventilators or breathing machines, and if you need more, you can't just go like. Yeah. Might pull them out of a hat and Well, it's, it gets down to everything, you know, it gets down to uh masks and gowns and gloves sure. and you know, I mean it's it, all the commodities are you know, that's the biggest concern is that those are the types of things that we'll run out of pretty rapidly. And drugs too, right? Um, Some of the drugs that are that are needed to treat people. Yeah, I mean we already, you know, at baseline have significant number of drug shortages that, uh, fortunately for this, there are no, you know, specific therapies, but patients that get this disease will need, they will have co, co concomitant other diseases they'll need treatment for that could rapidly deplete, you know, already short drug supplies and, and those types of things. So, you know, I think that if we, in six months, look back on this and say, you know, we we did all this stuff and it was unnecessary. That's probably right. not what we should do. We should probably look back on it and go, wow, when this happens again, we really know we did a good job with right. this. And right. we contained it enough. And so next time we need to pull that trigger even sooner. Yep. You know, but I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, I think that and and it remains to be seen what's going to happen in the U S and worldwide and everything. But I think we'll probably end up looking back on this and saying, this is the Spanish flu of 1918 for our generation. You right. know, this, this was the one event that kind of, you know, and I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way, but kind of culled the herd and, you know, took, took <laughs> yes. some of the, I mean, that's kind of the way evolution is right. At some point something comes through and knocks out the weakest of the, uh, right. And well, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's the way if you look back on history, things have gone. And so let's let's talk for just a second about like so the, like the personal risk of 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 this pandemic of of the coronavirus, you know, guys like I'm 37, I'm reasonably healthy. I have a wife that's 37. We have three kids. So I'm not I'm really not worried about you know, I don't I'm not worried about me. Right. But again, I have a mother that lives in my house that's 72, diabetes, you know, heart disease. I also I'm I think I'm I'm more concerned now, you know, about it's not me that I'm worried about, it's that I that I do something if I don't do what what the, what you guys are asking and, you know, and isolate and I go out and I'm reckless and you know, I 
go lick doorknobs and lick bars and stuff like that. And I get, you know, the infection and I come home and then I bring it to my mom and it takes her out. I mean, that's for a psychological, emotional standpoint, I'm going to feel like right. <laughs> I'm going to feel awful right, right. for, for, for just being reckless and could have done that, you know? So I'm, and I think for the vast majority of us, we will, we'll be okay, but it's looking out for those people that, might not be okay. And just making sure that, and you know, and still, even then there may be, I may be able to do nothing, you know, yeah. I may, yeah. you know, mom could get it and take her out and there's nothing that I can do about that. But, well, I think that the, uh, that's the, I mean, that's the, that's the deal is, you know, 80, 85% of people that get it are going to have mild disease and, you know, are going to be fine. But it is, you know, if you look at the data, that's now pretty solid data that's come out of uh, the Chinese experience is, the big jump in uh, the case fatality rate starts at, at, at over the age of 60. And, you know, when you go from 40 to 40 somethings is like 0.3 to 0.4, the 50 somethings is 1.4. So there's a little bit of a jump. But then the 60 somethings, it goes from 1.4 to 6%. And then when you go from 60 to 70, yeah. it goes up to exponentially know, yeah. higher. And in the, you know, the older than 80 population, it's, pretty significant i mean it's on the order of 20 25 percent and even the one those are the deaths you mean you think about a lot of the people that live uh, have significant residual effects associated with that critical illness so yeah you know and i know some people are flippant too and then like oh they're you know they're 70 years old they've had they've lived their life well i mean i i hear that too but like you know my mom is 70 right. she has grandkids i'm sure that her goal was to you know, see her grandkids graduate, um, you know, and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, you know, thinking about things like that. But I was, man, I was super dismissive. Yeah. Hey, Martin, I'm going to interrupt you here a minute ahead, because this is, we've, we've talked a lot. I think everybody's accepted that the elderly and the people with underlying health issues that are older, you know, chemo, people who are taking chemo. So I think everyone's sort of accepted yep. that. I was listening to so I was driving up to Fayetteville on on uh, Friday to get my daughter. Or, as we talked about, her freshman year was cut pretty short, like everybody else's freshman and sophomore, whatever year. And uh, I was going to pick her up, and I was listening to the Joe Rogan Experience, which I don't always listen to. I listen to some of his podcasts. I don't listen to all of them. But I'd heard about his yeah, interview wrong. with uh, Michael Osterhelm, who is uh, with the University of Minnesota. He's an epidemiologist, very clearly knows what he's talking about. When you listen to him, it's obvious, uh, just as it is uh, with our guest today, that th these are people that are in the field. They know what they're talking about. They're, they're experts. Yep. And Osterholm was talking about one of the things that this he, he believes that we're going to see is that in Italy, for example, uh, you know, it, it went after the old. In China, it was it was vicious with, with men in large part because the men in China um, smoke heavily. It didn't hit women as much because women don't smoke. And then he said something that you don't hear the media say a lot here. In large part, I think, because it's not politically correct and it upsets people. And But it, he said, you know, he has a, a belief that in, in the States, when this thing takes off, that it's also going to be able, you're going to see that, that uh, people who are not fit, people who are not just not fit, but people who are obese, are are going to be really susceptible to this that unlike the the young healthy people you know we talked about 
Rudy Gobert getting this and Donovan Mitchell getting this and you know NBA players and and they're either asymptomatic or they just have two or three bad days and then boom they're back but they're young strapping very healthy people what about um what about the people who are uh not 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 as healthy I mean you know you walk through some you walk through a Target walk through a Walmart in uh in the U.S., especially in our part of the country, at least, and I'm not trying to be mean or, or, or attack anyone, but there are a lot of people who have, uh, for lack of a better term, really let themselves go. In your opinion, how susceptible are they going to be if uh, if this thing gets kind of full-blown? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, some of this is more guess and conjecture than it is actually rooted in science, but, you know, some of the thought process is that some of the pathophysiology of the disease and the way it affects people um, is through uh, the inflammatory response that incites in the body. So if you have uh, conditions, um, whether they're, you know, known diagnosable medical conditions or lifestyle conditions that predispose you to a chronic inflammatory state it may be that your inflammatory response at baseline is going to be more robust to the virus and therefore cause more problems for your body so it's it's along the lines of some of those things you're talking about uh that kind of the 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 patients who are morbidly obese or, you know, the people who are um, chronic alcoholics or, you know, these kind of more lifestyle things, they're going to have a harder time dealing, to to yeah. dealing with the virus because it is true that a healthy immune system and a healthy immune response is going to be the thing that, you know, bolsters the body through the process. So um, that's why you see, it's probably not affecting kids as much, not because they have better immune systems, but because they adapt to it a little bit more and don't have as many coexisting chronic medical conditions and chronic inflammatory states as, uh, you know, you get as you age um, through the years. And, and then other lifestyle things that are just kind of intangible, you know, you hear this a lot for everything, but it is true that, you know, if you're chronically, uh, sleep deprived, you know, you're not able to adapt to things as well. If you have chronic, you know, significant stress, if you have a job that say, um, you know, messes your, your natural body clock up such that you, you know, put your body under stress all the time. And those are the types of things that are, it's, it's difficult to quantify, but they certainly do contribute. All right, we're sure, gonna get, we're gonna get some, a good question, man. I didn't think about that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have thought of it either until I was listening to that podcast, which was just absolutely fascinating and, and about where, kind of where it came from and what we're looking at and some of the comparisons to Italy and um, you know a, a lot of the things that we're talking about today. But it was one of the things that I thought, oh, I haven't heard that, and it makes sense when you when you do hear it, and it's um, for whatever reason, and I mean no matter which side of the aisle you're on or what kind of network you're listening to, no one's talking about it. And and maybe it's because it's just kind of guesswork or maybe it's because we haven't seen it, but he, he was, he was very fearful that that was going to be a problem in, in our country. If, if we, uh, 
if we didn't get a control of it. We, we asked for some questions for you, uh, Dr. Jones. Before we get to that, let me pay a couple of bills here and tell you this podcast is also brought to you in part by the refrigeration company, TRC, owned and operated by Jeremy Watler. He's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years. They're highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction Uh, The refrigeration company specializes in ammonia refrigeration, but they work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. TRC is building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection, calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Watler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at com. That's jeremy at the R-E-F-R-I-G-C-O.com. You can follow them on Facebook or at their website, therefrigco.com. Podcast also brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has uh, five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience. And with their different areas of expertise, they can uh, offer convenience along with the latest in technology. Also, they can see the entire family no matter age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date with all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. Our TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comfort of home, all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared, or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off for multiple visits. And with sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, which ultimately saves the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, get in touch with Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. To reach the doctors at Elite Dental Care, go to EliteDentalCare.com or follow them on Facebook and or Instagram. Okay, so we uh, we solicited some questions. My phone is wanting to play games with me, but we're okay. Uh, and uh, I've got them printed off in front of me, too. Okay. So question number one from uh, Lynn from Madison. I have a feeling I know who that might be. If you, uh, if you, have, scheduled, <laughs> if you have scheduled doctor, dentist, this is a really good question because we've got a couple of these coming up this week, and I don't know the answer. If you have scheduled doctor, dentist, or, or uh, eye appointments in the next two or three weeks that are uh, wellness checkups only, should you reschedule? So I think that the uh, answer to that base is, is going to be different for every individual, and you kind of need to ask yourself that question as an individual. I would say if they are truly elective-type appointments and you are – in a in an at risk category, um, and that would be, you know, uh, not to call anybody old or not, but you know, sixty years old or older, with chronic medical problems, particularly those uh, on immunosuppressant therapies or something like that. I would suggest that those people probably would want to try to reschedule those things. If you're healthy, young, 
you know, it is uh, more an, of an elective thing. It's not, it's not really necessary, but some people may feel better if they do, you know, reschedule. So um, there's no one hard yes or no answer to that. You're going to have to kind of look at your own risk and your own comfort level and decide. But I don't think we're at a point, a point yet, and hopefully we won't get to that point where you just need to absolutely reschedule everything. Yep. And we have, so like Bella gets her braces off next week and our, um, our, um, oh my gosh, our dentist, uh, group has already emailed us saying, Hey, you can bring Bella in. She's, you know, we are, you know, the hygiene, the level of, of, uh, disinfectant and, and cleanliness. I'm totally botching all of this is, is, you know, is at a really high level. So you don't have anything to worry about she can come on and, yeah. and, and of course, Bella's, she's a seventh grader. Right. Um, and she's really looking forward to getting her braces off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's fine. I think, you know, for example, if, if it's your mother, you know, yep. and they have multiple medical problems and they're going in for their yearly visit. I mean, those are the kinds of things that unless there is a, a significant issue that needs to be addressed, it probably is prudent at this point to, try to reschedule it until we can kind of get a gauge on what the trajectory of some of this stuff is going to be. Cause sure. the worst thing that could happen is you go, you sit in a waiting room with somebody that has it and you did, you know, they, maybe they don't even know they have it yet. Yeah. You know, maybe they're asymptomatic, but they are a, a spreader. Um, and so, you know, those types of individuals probably should think really hard about whether they're necessary or not. And I know a lot of, Healthcare providers are ramping up the ability to do virtual visits, telephone, right. you know, telehealth. Um, so, you know, there, there should be a lot of options that you can think through. And our orthodontist did say in the bottom of the email, it was, hey, we're asking if you if you have if you're driving a patient to see us like I'll be driving Bella because she's clearly she's 13 and can't drive. They ask us to wait in the car. Yeah, don't come. Uh, yeah, they said, hey, yeah. you guys just wait, in the car. which was I thought I mean, I'm totally compliant with that i'm not yeah. going to get my panties in a wad and pitch a fit because i can't go sit in the <laughs> right. in the waiting room of her orthodontist right um we have another question from her from chic bart in dallas and uh chic asks, is it true that once you get the virus you're Im- immune from getting it again i guess kind of like measles and chicken pox and whatnot yeah, so the answer to that is yes and no. Um, it's uh, it's it's like the flu, right? So uh, if you if you should not get that strain of coronavirus in the immediate time frame after that. Right. Um, what we don't know because we haven't seen this particular strain is what is the what is the duration of the immunity uh, okay. associated with it and. Um, and then this virus mutates very readily. And so it, right now in the United States, there are two predominant strains that are in the world. There are two predominant strains that are circulating. Uh, they're, you know, they're very similar. They're both, they're both called um, the same the, thing, the but, but they're a little bit different. Uh, so if you get coronavirus you will not get reinfected during that season we don't think but whether that would be lifelong immunity right it's very unlikely just like you can get a very similar variant of the flu year to year yep. the same one and next year have yep. it well and i read that um and of course again i've been reading more in the last three weeks um because really i'm reading to see impact on markets versus 
healthcare because sure. I would. Because that's what you do. That's what I do, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I did read that the mutations uh, are getting uh, dampening in their intensity. And I have no idea if that's if that's true or not. So, like, the, the next mutation should mortality rate be less than the the first mute the original virus i have no idea if that's right or not yeah i think well of the of the variants they've seen so far it has seemed as though the the mutated version seems to be less virulent than the original one but that's not to say that you couldn't have a mutated version that becomes more virulent. right right okay so So, yeah so it's just it's too early to call that it is nathan from new jersey sort of has a couple of questions here one's more of a point that i'm going to ask you your thoughts on and then and then he has a question he's uh he says hoboken has closed all schools gyms parks and theaters restaurants can only deliver bars without food are closed and there's a 10 p.m curfew so he, he then goes on to say i have a light cough and no fever should i self-quarantine i'm, I'm going to turn this into two questions do you see what's happening in hoboken happening most everywhere here in the next few weeks and then for someone like him who has a light cough but no fever, should he self-quarantine? So I think we're at, in a lot of places, we're at an inflection point with the, the degree of what we're going to see happen in society. So I think that we're in areas where you see widespread community transmission, it is going to get to the place of, yes, there's yep. going to be curfews. There's going to be nothing open, you know, maybe just grocery stores and kind and of pharmacies, pharmacies and that's like kind of it. Italy. Yeah. Um, but I don't think in a lot of places we're there right now. I don't think we're there at Jackson in Jackson, um, but there certainly are places where you're going to see that happen. And so it may not happen at all in some places if you don't get widespread community transmission. Um, we just, it's just too early to say that as a general statement for all areas, uh, in terms of the cough, no fever, you know, it's a little bit of a loaded question we've really been struggling with here because if you've gone outside in Jackson, Mississippi in the last 48 hours, there's pollen everywhere. Absolutely. And you know, everybody, not everybody, but a significant portion of people have Yep. pollen allergies and they're coughing and have the sniffles and that kind of stuff. So where you draw the line is really something we've struggled with. Um, up until this point, we've been able to rely upon some history of, you know, travel to high risk areas or, you know, if you've had contact with somebody that's high risk, but we're rapidly losing the ability to rely upon those types of risk factors. Sure. So, you know, I say, I'd say this in an abundance of caution. If you live in an area that seems to have so much community spread that they're getting, um, you know, very restrictive on movements and what's open and what's not. Right. And you develop a symptom that could be consistent with the prudent thing to do for the rest of society is for you to self quarantine. Right. And it's not about you. It's about everybody else at that point and preventing that spread. So, you know, I would say a cough in an area that's gotten to that point, my advice would be, yeah, probably best to stay home, stay away from people, you know, do the best you can to, to protect others. Yeah. So I guess going back to that better to be alarmist right now and then on the back end go, okay, I overdid it. 
than to be totally dismissive and say, you know, to hell with everybody else. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then you be the one that's around, you know, spreading to the 2.9 and the exponential math and infection rate. Right. You know, going exactly right. Yeah. I can get behind it. And look, life does feel a little more inconvenient than it did a month ago, but I'm totally okay with inconvenience for a short period of time with normal life on the backside of that, you know, coming versus, you know, saying I'm going to do whatever I want to. I'm going to go lick bars and and doorknobs and, and this thing, you know, we not have normal life for a long, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not a doomsdayist. I am not a pessimist. I mean, but I'm kind of at, okay, I, I trust our, our America's healthcare workers and y'all, and y'all are giving us instructions to help you guys not get overrun. I'm going to do my part as an American citizen and, uh, and a concerned citizen to, to follow the instructions. Yeah. And I, and I think the thing that is important, two things I want to make a point about what you said, you know, you said something about life getting back to normal. I think we have to begin now, honestly being having the honest conversation with each other and in our heads what is our new normal? <laughs> yeah, right? sure. Because I don't think, you know, kind of like the, you know, the rubber band that you stretch out too far. I think we've stretched this thing way out. And that thing is, that rubber band, that life as we know, it's not going to come back to its normal. Sure. So we're going to, I think our new normal is going to be something where, you know, social distancing and less handshake, some of that stuff is going to become a... A new normal. Kind of new normal. Just kind of like traveling after 9-11. Yeah. You know, that's right. I mean. It all changed. To, to, it right? all changed. Yeah. And and it sucked initially because I was used to being able to do whatever I wanted to do. and But I realized for the greater good, right. like that is the new normal. And, you're may, and you may be right. There's probably is a new normal on, on the backside of this. Yeah. Uh, let me ask a question from, uh, from Christopher in Jackson, which is, you know, if you haven't gotten your flu shot, should you still go get your flu shot? Yes. We're still seeing a fair amount of influenza activity presently. And it's worse than normal too, correct? At, at this time of the year, it's a little bit higher than we see usually. Okay. So, so it, you know, it's really actually never too late to get the flu shot. We <laughs> see flu all year long. Sure, sure. It's just that. There's peak seasons. And, and as schools let out and there's less, you know, kind of, congregation and that kind of stuff in the summer months when people are more outside and that type of thing. We just see some of the activity die down, but I'd say it's never a bad idea to get a flu shot. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and Neil, I was going to say talking about being outside. One of the questions we had was does the virus resist heat and does exposure to sun cause the virus to die? I just thought that was kind of a good bridge for that. Yeah. I'm going to go back to Peter's question, Neil. Uh, So the answer to that is no. Uh, yep. the, the sun does not kill the virus. Um, the deal with outside is, uh, you know, there's more airflow. Right. So the ability for uh, droplet spread is much diminished. Is it, is it six feet? Is that the... Yeah, six kinda... feet is, is, the, is the general consensus that that's the amount of space. Okay. Um, so, you know, when you have a breeze, when you're outside, open air... It's less likely that that will occur, and then uh, there are less inanimate objects outside that the virus can land on and, you know, uh, live on for some amount of time. Gotcha. Um, so that's why kind of being outside 
is helpful, but it is not true that sunlight kills the virus. Okay. That heat kills the virus. You know, so so go get in your UV lamps and <laughs> and shining UV lamps on everybody's not going to help. Now UV, uh, we do use UV to clean rooms. Okay. Um, so maybe there's something to UV, but it's got to be intense UV. Right? Okay. It's so not, probably not something that not you can get at Walmart UV. or. Yeah, it's got to be kind of the industrial grade, and you got to do it for a certain amount of time and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Maybe we have a business, Neil. Yeah, it's been, Neil. Do you want to ask Peter's question? Well, I do. Right, that was that was one of the more interesting things from the 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 guy from the University of Minnesota on the Joe Rogan experience. He said the same thing. He said he 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 did not believe that just heat itself, meaning you know, just hey, it gets hotter outside in the summertime. Just the, those high temperatures were going to do anything one way or the other to it, and that has been one of the myths that is. I believed it. I heard it for a long time. I was like, oh, well, we'll be okay because we'll get to the middle of April, you know, 1st of May, and it's going to get hot. It's going to get humid, and then it's going to do what it always does in the summer in this part of the country. It's just going to become almost unbearable, and it'll go away. And and he, he basically said, you know, it's not going to do anything to it one way or the other. And so I, I thought that was another one of those, like, voila moments where I said, yeah, we got to do something. I think if the environment does anything, it's gonna it's gonna get people outside, out of con- you know indoors, out of congregated areas, in close proximity to each other, and it's gonna um, that that itself will help some. But it's not it's not it's not the UV light or the heat. It's the it's the environment. Um, you know, in the Spanish, if you if you've read any of the books or done any research about the Spanish flu, one of the one of the things they did that when they started seeing less spread in hospitals is they started putting hospitalized patients outside. outside. Yeah. But that, so that wasn't because they were outside in the sun. It's because they weren't in a closed air environment where the air was being recirculated and the virus was just, you know, um, in the air spreading around everybody. It was, it was a more open environment. So that's, that's really the thought process behind that. Why that seemed to work some. Right. So a couple of these are, are are similar. These these two questions are basically the same. They're they're worded a little differently, and it might lead to a a pretty interesting discussion. Peter from Biloxi says, given the active measures taken by the government, when can we expect to see significant results? By that I mean ease our anxiety levels. And then uh, Clayton in Seattle says, when do you think we will see the peak of new cases? Over under July fifteenth. That is the question that a lot of people are asking. I know this is impossible for you to answer, so we'll hold you to it. And if you miss it, we'll just replay it on a loop over and over. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> what, what, if I get it right, I might become like dude, Nostradamus. Yeah. I know. If like you that. get it right, I'm going to be like, you guys heard it first. <laughs> yeah. Mine on my money we'll, podcast. We'll give you a gift card and 10% off your first year at Pinterest. Um, is, That's right. <laughs> what, what is realistic? I mean, what's what's... How do you see this? How do you sort of see this playing out? If you had to look at a at a at a point in the in the whether it's late spring, early summer, I've heard some people say, "Hey, man, this thing is going six months," which is really frightening if you think about six months. Um, what 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 is realistic in your opinion? So I think um, I'll answer that two ways. The first is I'll tell you what we're planning for, what we're getting prepared for, and the second is based on experience coming out of China, Japan, South Korea, what I think if you want to use some hard data to try to drive your your 
guess then right uh, what we're planning for is sustained activity uh, for six months at least six months so we think that we will see a lot of uh, sustained activity with the coronavirus for for a good while now that's what the healthcare system is planning on so that means you know we're gonna see it but we see it, you know, we see all this stuff, right? So, yep. so what does it actually mean to, you know, kind of everyday life and when you can expect to ease anxieties? Well, if you think about the experience in China, which, you know, they kind of bore the brunt of it because it started there, it took yep. some time to get recognized. They did implement some rather draconian measures, and uh, but they did it later, I would say, than we have done it. Um, but I would say that based on what they saw, we probably are looking at a good three months and that peak of activity, and we're on the very beginning of the upslope of that, that peak of activity activity probably occurring, you know, six weeks to two months from now. Um, now, if some of these measures work, that peak will be smaller and maybe we push it out a little bit more. So, you know, the May, May, June time frame, I think we will have, I hope that we will have seen the peak of that activity by then. And we'll be on the downside. But it doesn't mean we're not going to still see some of it. Sure. Right? I, I, can I tell, think that sure. we can. I can tell you I guys. Say, that, I think we can. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I think Podcasting. we can reasonably expect to see a fair amount of activity through the summer, right? I mean, that would be my best guess. Yeah, so we're going to take the under on July 15th. I'm going on the under. Neil, you got the over? No, I think Clayton's about nailed it. I'll tell you this. Two, three I'll days ago, two or three days ago, I had some I – mean, you, you With know, pineapples. You, you, do, you do finances. I do sports. I mean, as I wrote the other day, sports is sort of – I've never been a stick-to-sports guy, but sports is the canvas for what I do. And uh, I know a lot of people in, uh, in and around Major League Baseball – and obviously, their season was scheduled to start on May the twenty sixth, March the twenty sixth. It's not going to start on March the twenty sixth. And as of just a few days ago, they were still saying, "Yeah, we still think we can get a full season in." And today is the first day that, just kind of touching base with some people, and there's actually a report out on this now. Um, Major League Baseball looking at the idea of a half season. Playing a playing one half of a season, being able to still have their postseason and all that, but but one half season, eighty one games instead of the regular one sixty two, eighty one games would be starting a season right around July the fourth, give or take a day here and there. Um, that's probably what I would guess too. Which means that means that the clubs start feeling safe, getting the players reconvened in Arizona and Florida back in. I don't know, I would guess mid-June, mid to late June, two to three weeks of spring, tr- summer training, if you will. And then um, yep. And then playing you know, playing games in front of crowds because there's absolutely no reason to play the games if you can't allow fans in because that's how you make money. Um, that, you know, that kind of sounds like they're guessing somewhat early July, which – Frankly, based on some of the things that I was hearing late last week, would be a pretty good sign because I, I was hearing late last week from people that said, "Hey, if we don't get this thing under control, the people that are worried about spring football 
they're going to really be losing it because there won't be fall football. Yeah, I, I just don't think we know yet. I think we're still at that inflection point. I think we're walking down the road and we know the fork is in front of us, but we haven't, we can't see the fork yet. Um, it could very well be, and I know you have to kind of plan, particularly for something like a professional sport in a season. Um, I just wouldn't be surprised if, if the whole thing gets called off. You know, it just depends on which way it flips. We just right. don't know yeah. right now which way it's going to flip. Yeah, I won't yeah, be surprised. I, I mean, I, there's I, know. No, I won't be surprised if there's no season. I won't be surprised at all if there's no NBA season. If there's no, I can tell you this: the NBA players were when they when they left uh, their respective teams the other day. A lot of them believed that a they would either finish the season and get the rest of their money, or that b you know they would get the rest of their money even if they didn't finish the season. And I can tell you that one of the things that was being communicated to their uh, players union was the NBA can absolutely exercise what's what's essentially the uh, act of God clause that says, hey, we couldn't finish the season through no one's fault, but just, you know, an act of God happened. And in that case, you won't get paid because there's no money to pay you. The the, the, the contracts change. I can tell you that language was, was ramping up late last week. The NBA, obviously, inside, at one point believed they could pick up the season mid-June, finish at the end of July with the NBA finals, and, you know, it'd be a little rushed and be a little cramped, but they'd get it done. I don't think they think that anymore. Well, it'll be interesting to see how how all of this kind of unfolds. Because I mean, I know I, I think with sports, just like with with healthcare, you know, everyone's trying to 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 maybe quote unquote overreact on the front end and then figure it out. And, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, Neil. Because also, I mean, I guess it it really does look like year the twenty twenty is going to be the year of the virus and um. You know, it will, it will be interesting to see how it impacts, you know, everything, how it touches globally with sports, with with the economy, with healthcare, with, you know, really putting people into perspective, too, on, you know, how we go about daily life, travel, um, you know, it is, it is still, uh, we, we have yet to see what the, what the full impact is. Couple more questions. We really appreciate your time, by the way. Uh, you've you've given us more than an hour already. We'll, we'll be quick with these. Uh, the last yes. couple ones, doctors. No, no problem. Scott from Madison says doctors are telling patients they don't have test kits. Who does? What 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 are you what are you hearing inside the the industry about the ability to to test more uh, frequently? Yeah. So uh, right now in Mississippi, the Mississippi Department of Health is the only agency that's doing the test. Gotcha. Uh, they don't provide a test kit per se. Um, the healthcare provider is the one that is uh, providing the. Uh, it's it's just a swab, kind of like a Q-tip, and we put that Q-tip in um, a test tube that has some media in it, some broth in it that is uh, specifically made to allow viruses to grow. Okay, so the limitation of a doctor's office would be, do they have that viral media that they need to put the swab in? Um, it's not technically difficult. I mean, you could train a monkey to do the swab and put the swab in it, so it's not technically a difficult thing. Um, so if, you, if you're being told by your doctor, we don't have the ability to do it, that's probably the reason. 
right now the limitation and one of the more significant limitations in the country is the ability to, to do the test and perform the test. The Department of Health has done a pretty good job. They've ramped up uh, the testing as much as you know they can. They're not at maximum capacity right now. So, so it's not necessarily the you know actually getting the test done, but there probably is some limitation uh, in the the commodity that you would need to actually perform the test. And I think what you'll see in the next several weeks is you'll start to see some testing clinics yeah. pop up. Well, and that was what the president in his address on Friday at two thirty. He had the like CEOs of are the you know, business leaders for Walgreens, for CVS, Walmart, Target, saying that they would set up mobile test centers yeah. or the drive-through test centers. Their, and uh, you could use their parking lot. Parking lot, yeah. And yeah, then Roche so, says they were going to help with getting test kits out. or Yeah, Roche like developed kind of a more rapid test. and You know, but all that st- just cleared the FDA on Friday. Yeah, so but, it's like that hadn't even been manufactured yet. Right, but it's like six or eight weeks away, you know. So there's a lot of... Uh, academic medical centers particularly that have the that actually have the equipment that you need to do the test that are developing the test themselves and i think you'll see some of that start to pop up and you know testing will become more more readily available in the coming weeks um you know it's it is important to remember though right now it's not recommended that an asymptomatic person be tested because we don't really know what that means sure you know so it's really just the symptomatic patient that we want to test so we know whether to tell them to quarantine or not. And then we're really having to test people on the back end of the virus to tell them they're cleared from shedding the virus and they can resume kind of normal activity. So Which it's a I little bit complicated. Normal activity for the next several weeks is still going to be kind of yeah, self-quarantine. Quarantine, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to kind of laugh. But, and sound it, but it may but yes. allow you to go back around your family. The family. Right, 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 right. You know. That makes sense. All right, Neil. So last, I guess this is last kind of question, and this is really for, for me and you. Um, so Stacy wanted to remind us that last last week when we talked about the impact on the financial markets and economy specifically, so not the healthcare system, um, you were an eight on a scale of one to ten for you know for fear this was going to be um, really bad, and I was you know or four or five, and so Stacy asked, you know, how's that changed? How do we feel now? Do you want to take the first swing at that? I'm staying at an eight. It's very obvious there's going to be a a tremendous amount of impact. Businesses are going to close. Uh, I, th- I think the, the government is doing a lot and is going to do more to help. I've seen some some really radical stuff that's even coming out now where people are, are basically recommending, hey, shut the whole thing down for two weeks, inject a trillion dollars into the economy, you know, yep. send, send $3,000 to every adult and tell businesses don't pay salaries for couple of weeks let's just shut this thing down completely and i don't i don't know i you know a, a, a medical person could tell me whether they think that would work you know is two weeks enough is do you, you got to do four weeks are people even going to do that if you let's be real if you send three thousand dollars to some people it's just going people with with drug addiction problems and stuff you, you're, you're going to have you're going to create problems doing that as much as i don't i don't so bottom line is i don't know the answer I think there's no way around this not hurting the economy, this not hurting people's bottom lines. Um, you know, 
people have vacations scheduled this summer. I think a lot of people are canceling vacations. They're, they, you know, I, I know I bought insurance on mine, thank God. And, um, you know, the the economic impact of not finishing an, an NBA season, the economic impact of not having a Major League Baseball season, the potential economic impact of no summer school at these college campuses. Um, God forbid this thing stretch into August where campuses can't open when they normally do and kids can't go to Oxford and Startville and Baton Rouge and Hattiesburg and wherever and go to college. We, like, like Dr. Jones was saying, we just don't know. And as, as you know, Martin, and you're in the markets, uncertainty is not the market's best friend. So I'll stick with an eight. Uncertainty is the uncertainty is the enemy of of markets. So um, I am going to move mine a little bit. Uh, so I said I was a four or five on you know impact to the economy. Um, I am not going to move a ton, but I will move. I'll I'll say I'm a I'm a five or six for short term shock, and and here's my reason behind it. So um, yeah, I think as we self quarantine. What you're going to see and what we're already seeing in places like the grocery store is that, you know, folks are going in and they're hoarding and they're buying up toilet paper. They're buying up hand sanitizer. They're buying up, you know, meats. Was, you know, you, you look at the meat section in Kroger today. I went in this morning um, and I was actually looking for pork tenderloin for tonight. Uh, no pork tenderloin, which was fine. We already have stuff. We'll just shift to something else. But I think you're going to see, you know, there's this mass blitz of freak out pandemonium Buy as much as you can. Well, so folks are going to have food stocked or, or supply stocked for two weeks, three weeks. I, if we go the Italy route and we hit a, you know, government mandated, um, shutdown of small businesses minus groceries and pharmacies. Uh, I still think that people, uh, you know, the folks that went out and got everything they needed this weekend um, for the people who were unable to get those things, those trucks are still coming, you know, at the end of the night, there'll be, you know, there'll be stuff that's getting out there. I don't think that quote unquote supply chains will be shut down. Um, I think, you know, we will still, we've got, an, we've got some reserves for life to get back to normalcy. Um, you know, the deal with the Chinese right now is, you know, the, the, the hiccup in the supply chain was that they were sick and they were shut down. So there was nothing being manufactured. Well, they're back to work and they're manufacturing. And now it's everything else is going to be shut down. So we're, at first we had, it was a, it was a supply issue and now it's going to turn into a demand issue as, you know, supplies start hitting us back. You know, there's going to be, if everything is shut down, the demand for, for those supplies will have, will have kind of take, have abated a good bit. So I think we will see a pickup, um, there will be a leveling out. I think it'll take a couple of weeks for everything to kind of get matched up um, and normalized again. I think there will be an immediate impact uh, on on industries like you just said, Neil. So you get travel industries. You know, you're already seeing it. Hospitality industries, you're seeing it. I think the people that are really impacted the most are, you know, people who work in restaurants that are servers or, you know, bartenders, if they're having to shut those things down, but the restaurant gets to stay open and can send food for delivery, or you can come pick it up. Well, the cooking staff in the back will still be at work, but, uh, you know, there won't be any servers. There won't be, you know, people to make, you know, that they, those, those folks won't have the ability to earn their income. And that would, it might be good to have, you know, Tiffany and, 
and Alex back on maybe in a couple weeks to kind of talk about the impact at the manship here uh, to see what that's done. But, you know, I do think I do think that we will recover. Uh, at first, I thought it I, I kind of thought I was wrong. I'll admit it. I was wrong. I thought it was going to be more V shaped recovery. And now I'm convinced that that this is going to be a U shaped recovery. And what we've seen in the financial markets in the last three weeks is, is just pure speculation and fear. It's fear. I think it's worse. I think people are fearing worst case scenarios and the markets have reflected that. Um, what I think will happen is, you know, we, we won't even see the impact on first quarter GDP numbers for the U S we won't even see those. We won't see the real economic impact until second quarter. There can be some forecasting of what it's going to be, but you won't see it. You won't have confirmation until, you know, mid July, um, for second quarter. So what I, what I feel like will happen. And if I'm wrong, you can play this episode over and over again to, <laughs> to throw me under the bus. But what I feel like is going to happen is second and third, second quarter is going to be down third quarter potentially could be down. So then we have a technical recession at that point. Technically a recession is two quarters of, of negative GDP growth. I, I think we're going to 100% we're going to see that. Uh, this year, but I also feel like once those numbers come out, uh, just like with the healthcare system, where we were alarmist on the front end and let's plan for the worst, and then we would rather be that on the back end we see okay, well it wasn't it wasn't as bad as we had prepared for. I kind of feel like that's what's going to happen with the economy as well and the markets. So folks who have been you know buying additional stock as the markets have gone down, you may have to wait a couple of months to really see the benefit and reward of that. But I think, you know, fourth quarter and then through the next year, 2021 is probably going to be our quote unquote recovery year, maybe health wise and, um, you know, economic wise. That's where I feel like you're going to see the benefits of not getting out. The people who exited when the markets were 30% down and they're saying, Hey, I'm going to wait on the sidelines and see if this thing turns around. I feel like if you wait till the fourth quarter this year or the beginning of the next year, the markets are going to have recovered and you're going to say, okay, I'm ready to get back in. Well, you did exactly what we tell you not to do, which is you sold low and then the markets recover and you're going to buy back in when it's high. So, you know, don't panic. I think that's the message I'm going to give to, I'm going to continue to give to, to folks from a financial and an economic standpoint. Don't panic. Just stick to your plan even though it may really feel gut wrenching right now, stick to the plan, follow the guidelines that, that, you know, for your safety and health that, that we're being given. And then we're going to see sunshine on the backside. It just may be six months, nine months, 12 months from now. And I'll be quiet. Martin. Thanks so much. Uh, Dr. Jones, really appreciate your time today. I know we, uh, we took a lot of it. It was very informative stuff. I uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. I enjoyed it too. That does it for this special edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. We'll be back uh, on middle of the week with our, uh, our usual weekly episode. Until then, uh, stay safe out there. Take care. Talk to you soon.